0: on the road more times than I kind of want to admit. Um, we we travel a lot. We have a, a VW, um, a four-wheel drive VW van. It's called a Syncro Westfalia, um, and so that's what we travel around a lot. And oftentimes, we we don't make it to the destination, um, and we're stuck on the side of the road or end up someplace else. And yeah, and that's that's part of life too.
1: Episode 287, Roger Thompson takes us adventure traveling with stories from his book, We Stood Upon Stars. Support for the Adventure Sports Podcast comes from Kind Snacks. Go check them out at kindsnacks.com slash adventure. There you'll get a 10-snack variety pack for just 10 bucks with free shipping. They'll send you some dark chocolate nuts and sea salt, some roasted jalapeno almond bars, and some of my favorite, my new favorites, are the mango apple chia pressed bars. So check them out and let them know we sent you by going to kindsnacks.com adventure. This episode is sponsored by Health IQ. If you're exercising regularly, don't you think you deserve a special rate on life insurance? Find out how much you can save by taking the health quiz for your adventure sport at healthiq.com adventure. A few minutes on their site could save you a bunch on your life insurance. Get rewarded for all your hard work at healthiq.com slash adventure. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville.
2: Hey friends, Kurt here. Thank you so much for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast today. I have a show that is a little bit unique from our standard shows, and I'm really excited about this one. I have author Roger Thompson with us, and we're going to be doing a review of his latest book called We Stood Upon Stars. This book is about An Adventure Lived Life. I'm going to say it that way, and Roger can say a lot more about that, but it's a very adventurous book about traveling around through the United States, traveling with family, deeper thoughts about life and relationships and family and things that really matter, but it's written in such an amazing way. i I was just telling Roger, the way he turns a phrase is remarkable. It's genius, very, very clever, so... I'm excited to share this with you guys. Roger, welcome to the program.
0: Hey, thanks, man. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this.
2: Yeah. Well, I've been really enjoying your book, and I haven't finished it yet, Roger, so I'm looking forward to learning more about it during the show here. I look also forward to finishing it and then reading it again. It's that kind of a book. It's just so clever the way that you express your thoughts, and you do it in a way that's so meaningful, and it's tied into nature and creation, and adventure, so it's right down the, you know, the, the alley of what I really enjoy. So, awesome book. Once again, it's We Stood Upon the Stars, and the subtitle is Finding God in Lost Places, but we were talking before we hit record here, it's not an overtly religious book. It's just a, a deep thought book.
0: Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I like to explain it. I feel like most searches tend to be spiritual, kind of in themselves, and so the the book certainly hits on some spiritual themes, um, which I think is what people often encounter when they're out there, you know, staring at the mountains or the oceans and so forth.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I, you, In my mind, it's difficult to stand under the stars and to really appreciate what's going on in this universe without it it hitting the spirit a little bit, you know? And I believe that adventure sports themselves are good for that. We have so many guests that come on and they talk about um, getting in the zone or, or connecting with something bigger than themselves and, and it, that getting out into creation and being a part of it, it's, uh, it's bigger than just the day-to-day. There's a spiritual aspect to it. Everybody recognizes that. And so that, that's expressed in this book, but in a delightfully uh, human way. It's just beautiful. So, Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Well, let's get some backstory here, Roger. Um, you are a surfer. You're a skater, you love fly fishing, snowboarding, so and that's just part of it. You also do a lot of camping and travel, obviously, from this book. But the point is that you love adventure sports. That's a big part of your life right now.
0: It is. In fact, when I was a when I was a kid growing up, i lived in a little beach town in Southern California it's called Ventura. And um, as a kid I never really felt I'd ever fit in with more of the traditional sports and for whatever reason, once I start surfing and snowboarding, you know, I'm of the generation of when we start snowboarding, it was brand new to most mountains. Um, and so I'm kind of, uh, was in that first wave of snowboarders. But, um, when I started finding those sports, it just kind of fit me. And I feel like I've kind of found a little bit about who I am in. So I have a long, long history with all these, uh, kind of more adventure sports. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, you know, now I'm doing it with my kids. Like, I, we just got back from the beach where my son was surfing, and so it's just a real part of, deep part of who we are. Mm.
2: Yeah, and your book starts out by in one of the early chapters talking about a surfing trip down into Mexico, um, where people can get a, a a bit of the flavor of that adventurous lifestyle. Man, you talk about the adventure of everyday life in this book too. I, I so much enjoyed the chapter about. Um, Let's call it the negotiations between you and your wife, or, or uh, about about whether or not to have children. Right, right, and I won't even. It's really not negotiation so much as it is maneuvering somehow, right?
0: Right, yeah, <laughs> but, avoid, maybe avoidance.
2: <laughs> but anyway, you pull the adventure of everyday life into this book too, which is so much fun. So you know, I'm I'm kind of blabbing here. What if we read an excerpt from the book so that the listeners could get a feel for what I'm talking about? Do you have one that you could read for us?
0: Sure, yeah, I'd love to. Um, yeah, I've got one that's a, that's a fly fishing one that. Uh, the setup is um, and I not want to be too heavy right off the bat here, but the setup is is after someone close to me had passed away, and I was looking for a, kind of a, a place to be to start experiencing some healing, and so I went to one of my secret fishing holes, and it turned and, and and the fishing hole kind of gave me a secret, I suppose is the best way to set that up, but yeah, I'll I'll jump into this reading and we'll we'll kind of go through it. Right on. There aren't many secret fishing holes left, particularly in California. I have a few, and though I'm sure there are no secrets, I've never seen anyone else fishing them. I've discovered one of my favorites on the last day of fishing season. The known holes were packed, and I was searching for solitude. It was late in the fall, and at this higher elevation, trees had lost their leaves, leaving patches of brown among the evergreens. But along this creek, the colors held. They blazed in angled sunlight until afternoon winds snatched the last bits of color from cottonwoods, delivering leaves softly to the water below. Red and gold and yellow, like tiny rafts in the current. Below, the leaves swam wild trout. Getting to the section of the creek required navigating a rutted dirt road and a short hike down a steep ravine. Yet for difficulty of access, it was not remote. It was in the shadow of the same peaks that shaded better-known fishing holes. I'm usually in a rush to get to the water, but on this day, things were moving in slow motion. Someone I'd love to just die. Death is not done well in our culture. The expectation is always to move on. I was finding this hard to do. When the words of counselors and clergy fall short, sometimes fishing helps. There are clear, there's a clearer voice that echoes the mountains. As wise to point, the creek was little larger than a one-way street and never more than waist deep. The brush grew thick along the banks and shaded the edges. Opening to the sky were, the openings to the sky were narrower than the creek, but through them the sun shone strong and reflected from the water surface. Making the gold in the trees glow from below, the creek could only be fished from the middle, with no room for backcast. I would have to improvise with low sidearm casting, holding about 20 feet of line only inches above the water surface. In rivers below autumn canyons of cottonwoods, only the sounds—the only sounds—are moving water, and the highest only the highest peaks can be seen. The world is edited and made simple. My thoughts were reduced to fish, and which fly would make a wild trout rise. Death is a knot at the end of a fly line that cannot be undone, yet it connects us with something bigger, a hope. I tie a fly on the line. I'm fishing for that part of me that has gone to be with the one I loved. I've come to realize much of mourning is trying to recapture treasures buried with our loved ones. Not things, but time spent, moments accumulated. It's hard and beautiful, filled with sorrow and joy. When someone we love dies, these moments are turned into something more perfect. I mourn for these moments, and I wonder if I could ever... Be whole once they are gone. I recall experiences of my grandfather in time with a four-count rhythm and a fly line looping through shadows upon water. On the surface, all that has passed is in motion. The river is clearing its own minds, removing dying leaves of fall and preparing for a new season. Below death, there is life. Caddis and mayflies and blue-winged olives lay eggs in the water. The eggs later will emerge and hatch as aquatic flies that nourish wild trout. I cast my fly delicately between fallen leaves. It drifts for a moment and then disappears in a splash. The line goes erratic. My fly rod pulses with energy and every movement of the fish registers to the rod and into my palm. The fish and I are inextricably connected. Through a not holding an artificial fly, now hooked in the mouth of a wild trout, I become part of the river and part of the season and part of the mountains and part of the water. The trout fights with all the instincts of its wildness. The tip of my rod jerks toward fallen branches along the creek bank. I try to lead it another direction, the rod jerks the left, then right, the, fi- the fish fighting is one twice its size. I carefully reel in line, keeping steady pressure, but not so much that I might break the tippet. Near my boots, the orange dots along the trout's sides shine like little suns. The fish makes one last attempt, and goes quiet. With wetted hands, I cradle the fish and carefully remove the fly. The trout is small, no more than eight in- or nine inches in length. However, the life in it is bigger. It connects me more intimately with this world. I release the trout and it goes on with the search for food. The wounds of loss never will heal fully. I always leave the water more whole. As I make new memories, I am remaking the part of me that was lost with my grandfather's death. I'm restitching myself with a beauty whose purpose is not to heal, but to help complete. I've brought many problems to the stretch of water over the years. Sometimes I catch fish, sometimes I don't. But in search of trout, I always find what I need. How this fishing hole does this, I may never know. This is its secret.
2: Mm. Very cool, man. Very nice. Thank you. Most of the book is pretty darn humorous, <laughs> and that is really that section yeah, that's, there is really meaningful. Yeah, that one gets a little deep and
0: poetic, but yeah, there's um, a ton of funny stories. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, it's sometimes it's harder to read the short section of a funny story because the setup on those is, is so long. Right. Um, but yeah i would i would actually say in spite of what i just read this book is probably leans more heavily on humor than anything else
2: yeah yeah no doubt i i have chuckled and laughed and and i say hey honey listen to this and and i read a section to my wife ann and you know it's one of those books that uh pulls you in just because of the way that it communicates to what it means to be human but it does so in such a clever way that uh yeah, it, it, it's it's really a fun read. So let's go back to adventure and what it means in your life. Um, you have chosen an adventure-focused lifestyle here. Lots of travel with your family, lots of adventurous sports with your fly fishing and snowboarding and surfing and that sort of thing. What does adventure mean to you?
0: You know, um, for me, it's about kind of just getting out there and getting out from the mundane. I feel like the world is set up in a way that almost feels like it's trying to trap us into something that we didn't really want to become. Um, and and the adventure kind of breaks us free of that. Um, and I know with my own family, it also gets us in a place where, um, where when you're out there and having, you know, kind of this, whatever the adventure might be, we get to connect in a deeper way as well. You know, we're either trying to navigate a stream together, we're trying to land a fish together, we're kind of doing figure eights on our snowboards down the mountain together, whatever happens to be, there's a connection that happens between us that is just hard to replicate when you're, you know, under a roof or tied down with uh, the trappings of the lives we kind of build around us. So adventure's really kind of been the core component of, of who we are and who I am.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, I like that. And I think you're right. I think you're right about how, when we get outside out into nature and start trying to do something, right? Then it pulls people together. I've said many times on the show how community builds around adventure sports. And it's not just family, it's community. When people that have common interests get out and start, you know, celebrating the common interests that they have together, then, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome the way that that works. So very, very cool.
0: I had had a fun, yeah, my my boys got me an old school uh, skateboarding deck for father's day, you know, a couple of weeks back. And we, I took my youngest son we were in a skate shop yesterday. And when you talk about community, this, the guy who was helping me is the same guy that I've known in that skate shop now for gosh, 25, 30 years. Um, and it was, we got to talk about, not only were we talking about skateboarding, our old story, skateboarding, but he's still trying to skate. I'm trying to, you know, get out there and roll around a little bit, but it was such a cool community that was in there and, um, and his con- like his parting comments were, "You know, don't go too hard now because you know we don't want to see you hurt your back you know so the 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 conversations have shifted from when we used to talk about how to shred together to now we have to <laughs> be a little more careful, but underneath all that,'s this cool sense of history and community with these folks that kind of came from the sport itself,
2: yeah, yeah, that's cool it's it's fun too because. But what you're talking about you have history with people and the sport as you age it might change the way we do some of these sports but it also builds in that whole oh, that finesse and that that history like I said or I'm searching for words here but the uh, the connection that you have with somebody that goes back that's centered around a sport it makes uh, the friendship all the richer
0: oh yeah, absolutely and you have these shared yeah it's shared moments and things you can draw on and um, yeah, you know, and then it's nice that whatever your sport is, it's you know if you have a buddy, you can go grab some waves with, or go catch some fish, or do whatever. There's just something that kind of continually uh, stitches you guys, stitches a relationship together.
2: Hey, friends, Kurt here. You know, we might have the healthiest audience of any podcast on the planet. I don't know. It it, it just seems to me that people that are out there doing adventure sports. Have to be pretty healthy. They appreciate being healthy and they love to get out there and move. And we recently got a new sponsor, Health IQ, and they reward people who love to be healthy. This is cool stuff. So, do you exercise five times a week? If so, then you probably think you deserve a different rate on your life insurance. You're not the smoker, you're not the one who's out there abusing his or her body and and having a lot of health issues that result. Instead, you're out there moving and eating right and doing right things. So shouldn't your premiums be lower? Health IQ uses science and data to secure special rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like cyclists, runners, strength trainers, vegans, and more. Matter of fact, research shows that those who frequently exercise with some intensity have a 22% lower cancer risk, a 56% lower heart disease risk, and up to a 34% lower risk of an early death. So why not get rewarded for that? Historically, you get penalized for your family history, body mass index, and other attributes, but you don't get rewarded for your health-conscious lifestyle. Well, Health IQ does reward you for your health-conscious lifestyle with special rates on life insurance. How cool is that? To get more information and a free quote, Go to healthiq.com forward slash adventure and make sure you do use that forward slash adventure. That makes sure that they know where you heard about them on the Adventure Sports podcast. So, healthiq.com forward slash adventure. talk about surfing for a little bit i know that that's been a big one for you what has surfing done for you in your life
0: yeah surfing um gosh i mean it's probably been one of the the most important things in my life as you know started as a a kid like i said i didn't fit into the traditional sports and and quite honestly i don't think i fit in anywhere and i you know when i was going through those identity things that you deal with as a young boy surfing was the place where i could go and be truly myself um there was a connection there obviously the the water doesn't ask anything of you uh in terms of your background or socioeconomics or any of those kinds of things it asks something deeper of you um it asks for respect and it asks for caution and it asks for you know these other things and so as i started surfing and it became a part of my life it almost didn't matter what was happening in school or other parts of my life because the, the 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 waves were always there for me and the ocean was always there to step into that gap of um, you know what I wanted in my life and maybe what wasn't there or, or any gap I had the ocean could kind of fill that for me
2: hmm it's kind of a safe haven in a way huh
0: oh absolutely um, and then you know as you mentioned community earlier as you as you get older and my friends started revolve around that it became a place for us to go on surf trips together and, um, you know, and then, or just even, you know, daily kind of surf life. It just, it's provided a bit of an anchoring, um, for, for me throughout my life.
2: Mm. You know, I've been landlocked most of my life, but (laughs) I've made it to the coast several times and I did a fair amount of body surfing and I've been in some really big waves. that just, Tore me up, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. They tore me up. <laughs> you got to respect it. I've I've only been surfing on a surfboard one time, and uh, it was amazingly challenging for me. Like I have to right? ask for people that haven't tried surfing, or maybe they're trying to learn how. How long does it take to get past that? It's just kicking your butt phase. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, um, it's probably a good handful of sessions. Um, before you can really kind of get up and, in, and enjoy yourself on something. And something that has to do with the kind of wave that you're you're surfing on and the equipment that you have. there's some ways to kind of expedite that. But when I take people who are just learning, it usually takes a few sessions before they really kind of start to enjoy themselves. The rest of the time, they're just tired and frustrated.
2: <laughs> tired and frustrated. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I've always respected the mystery of surfing, and it's on so many different levels. But... People talk about getting a feel for the ocean, learning how to Mm -hmm. read the waves and knowing when Mm -hmm. the next good one's going to come. You know, it's kind of a a gut instinct sort of a thing. But then there's also the whole idea of water in general. You can't see below it very well. You see the surface, Mm -hmm. but there's a whole world below that's teeming with more different kinds of life than we can even imagine and yet we're on the surface. Do you ever get out there and kind of want to pull your arms and legs up on the board and, <laughs> and kind of <laughs> like, well, what's down there?
0: Yeah, we, I, I try to get below the surface as much as I can too, to see what's going on down there. But, um, but what you talked about in terms of reading the water, that is so true. And I found, um, you know, the, those cues that are on the water surface are only subtleties, right? That are kind of out there. And, um, when you learn to read those subtleties, you actually find much deeper truths. Um, You can read currents by what's happening on the surface of the water. You can kind of know when, like, that set wave is going to come on. And so we spend a lot of time as surfers trying to learn how to read the water. And ironically, it kind of transfers over to uh, fishing as well. Fly fishing is very much about trying to see what's reading the surface of the water and trying to make some determination of what's happening below. Mm. Um, But I've, yeah, I spend a great deal of my life studying the surface of water
2: <laughs> well it sounds kind of funny until you get into it and it's like dang this is this is a real thing you know yeah. one of my favorite things to do is to just take a moment to remember that water is what makes this planet live if we mm. didn't have frozen liquid and gas water then life on this planet couldn't be like it is right that's and, right it, it, and then to stop and say, you know, now, man, I don't know how many planets, extrasolar planets they've found and, and how many they think might be in what they call the Goldilocks zone, but they're still kind of guessing at, could it be possible for liquid water on that planet? And, and it's, it's <laughs> such a rare thing that you, you have to take a moment and realize we take it for granted, but it's what makes our existence possible. And, well, uh, yeah.
0: And we're made, our bodies are largely of water. Um, you know, you can't help us think that, um, that we have a special connection to water, both, you know, physically and spiritually, because we're of similar substance, you know?
2: Yeah, no doubt. I, I encourage our listeners, next time you're by a, a stream or a lake or something stop and and put your hand on the surface of the water don't sink it in just set it on the surface and let the surface tension kind of move through your fingers feel it the way that it resists and works with you and then look out across the water and try to remember what that water is and how valuable it is um it's just kind of a cool experience take a moment to notice it you know
0: i love that that's yeah that's great advice that's cool
2: Well, and what's fun about this is that your book is kind of like this, too. You, you take the simple things, and you dive into the deeper meanings, and you, you help us to understand more about life by the illustrations that we can see on the surface of things, right? Mm-hmm. That's, so, uh, that's absolutely right. Um, how about another one? Tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab one. This is almost random. I just kind of randomly opened the book. I haven't even read it all yet. I'm going to read a section. Good. Uh, this is in the Big Sur part under Highway Poetry. (laughs) Uh, That all changed past Ragged Point to the north, along the Big Sur section of Highway 1. Mountains and ocean become curves of tangled land and water, waves pulsed rhythmically, carving at the stone. The view is of two opposites. Each magnificent in its own right, but together something utterly amazing. Fresh waterfalls from forested cliffs directly to the sand where rocks rise from the sea with stripes of barnacles at the high tide mark. In its clashing are formed arches and sea stacks and a diversity of life not found anywhere else. The beauty comes in the opposites. So there's the surface. Here we go into the deep. When I first met my wife... (laughs) Let me go back. The beauty comes in opposites. When I first met my wife, I tried to win her affection in the same way I won that of friends and admirers. Through bold acts of masculinity and well-edited versions of myself, I took her to the nicest restaurants I could afford. I introduced her to influential friends. I told her about my grand plans and assured her of my future success. She wasn't impressed. She loved the little things, the details such as the thoughtfulness of opening a door or simply holding hands. A woman's heart is not won by strength or masked truth. It's won by poetry. A handful of flowers and a bottle of her favorite wine, even if you prefer beer. If you want to truly be a man, study the heart of a woman. It is the landscape we were made to travel. I love it.
0: Yeah. River, that's a genius. (laughs) (laughs)
2: well what i like about the whole book is that it's just like that it's full of all the things that make you you take pause and think and go yeah you know it's really Mm -hmm. cool that way
0: yeah i think that i know for me and i don't know how this is for you but but man, i I tend to you know that's about what you just read was actually about a fairly simple moment but um but if i don't stop and, and and pay attention to what's happening there you lose all that there's such depth and even some of the simple moments in our lives um, that I try to, I'm trying harder and harder as I get older to really appreciate those simple things. Cause under that simplicity, there's something really rich and deep.
2: Yeah. And, and if we can learn to appreciate those moments, you know, a happy life is a sum of happy moments mm-hmm. and, right. and the only way to really enjoy life is to be present fully present in the moment, like you're talking about. Any advice for us on how to appreciate those simpler things?
0: You know, um, gosh, well, for, for me, and I struggle with that just as much as anybody else, but um, for me, the, the practice is because of doing it over and over and over again. Um, and so I would just advise people to get themselves into those situations as often as possible, um, because what you won't see on the first you know, time out the first time to Big Sur, isn't the same. I saw different things on my second and on my third and my fourth time, and I think this experience. the almost like if you're learning like, how to play guitar, you're learning how to do something else. There's a repetition that develops muscle memory, and so I think with these kind of this adventurous lifestyle and kind of this seeking of deeper truth, some of that has to do with repetition and developing the muscle memory of paying attention to. Like what you said, put your hand in the water and let the river work around your hand. Do that once and you'll experience something. Do that five times and you'll actually probably land on something even deeper.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I like that. And it really is true. I like what you said about guitar. You know, when people mm-hmm. first learn to play guitar, it's just such a thrill to to get a clean chord to sound right (laughs) you know (laughs) and then over time they transition between chords smoothly and that's exciting Uh and then it gets to the point that you can start doing hammer-ons and lift-offs and and suddenly the music starts to take on a life of its own and then it just progresses from there but it's through a lot of repetition that the the experience gets richer and richer and richer Yeah, i
0: mean that's so true i mean and, and you know, if I could say, kind of again, referring to what you just read, in, in my marriage, it took takes lots of repetition of going and, and doing those things. It just, I think, we often wonder why relationships don't work um, because we want something to happen immediately, and it just it doesn't. It takes, you know, the there's a lot of work that goes into those. But the more you do that, the more you travel a woman's heart, the more familiar you get in that landscape, and you can kind of know the the turns you want to make and and all that, but it takes a lot of time traveling there to to, to know how to navigate that. Um,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit of the part that you wrote about just the whole adventure of trying to decide when it was time to have children with your wife. May I do that? <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you guys are traveling and, and you're walking around, and everywhere you look, there are these ladies pushing baby carriages. And your wife says, you know what that makes me think of? And you keep changing the subject. Right. And after about four rounds of this, she pins you down. And so you look at her and you say, let's get a dog.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is the ultimate diversion technique.
2: Oh, yeah. And then you talk about raising the dog and the joys of, of all of that and how much this dog becomes a part of your family. And then... I think it was one morning you're sitting in a chair and the dog comes in and he's in your lap or something and and you're petting this dog and your wife walks in and says, "You know what that makes me think of." That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh well, yeah. that's the fun of it, isn't it? Right. Yeah, and and I suppose
0: we should let guys know that the only the puppy only buys the puppy only buys you about maybe a year at most. So
2: just <laughs> be prepared. Yeah, then you have a dog that's looking for a child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Very, very fun. Well, Roger, how about another section from your book? I'm enjoying it so much. Do you have another one you could read for us?
0: Yeah, I do. Let me um let me pull one up here. Uh this one is actually takes place in uh, if you've ever been to Martha, Texas and Big Bend National Park in kind of southern Texas, but um this one kind of takes place out in that area. Um so let me jump into it. I've been listening to my father's music. Eventually we lose the voices that mean the most to us. They drown in noise or in death or in other voices, or they just fade away. I have no memory of the sound of my father, but his voice has come back to me in the music. When I hear the voices of Don Henley or Glenn Fry from the Eagles or Levon Helm from the band, I can see my dad singing in the cab of his beat-up truck, full of joy, full of life, with background vocals of a laboring Chevy engine and rambling sounds of the highway. His voice comes back to me in that space on the highway after the guitar solo when the song returns home. I'm the last of the men in my father's line, keeping it true until one day my boys become men. Our history has been written by the road. Some of that history has been lost, and I've gone to West Texas to search the highway for clues. I went first, before my boys were born, to the panhandle to look for anything remaining from my great-grandfather and to drive the roads that led him and my grandfather west. I hoped for a discovery that would help navigate the roads ahead. Marriage, career, life, death. Not all searches are about answers. Some searches are only about the search. They reveal something about who we are or who we are meant to be. The longing for beauty tells us we were made for beauty. The longing to share a campfire with someone we love or are beginning to love tells us we were made for love. The longing itself tells us there is something or someone that draws our hearts. So the search grabs hold and we can't explain why. It comes on like a sickness. And the only cure is to pack some maps and rations and go. We are not made for the cages we've erected around ourselves. We are meant for freedom. Where trees and mountaintops point to the stars, and where canyons echo and waters cool, and where wind is scrubbed clean by prairie grass. Those are the lost places where we go to find God.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, I like that. By now you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bent Gate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. (laughs)
1: Hey guys, this is Travis. I'd like to talk for a moment about Kind Snacks. Kind recently became a sponsor of the Adventure Sports Podcast, and we are stoked to have them with us because Kurt and I were Kind customers long before they became sponsors of the show. We truly do buy Kind Bars to throw in our hydration packs for a mountain bike ride or our backpacks when we're out on the trail. We grab Kind Snacks instead of others because we can actually pronounce the ingredients on the back of the package, and they all taste awesome. You guys need to take advantage of the deal they're giving our listeners. Simply go to kindsnacks.com slash adventure to get a 10 bar sampler case for just 10 bucks. Think about it. That's only a dollar a bar. Then because we know you're going to love them and you're going to go back for your second order, Kind is going to give you your $10 back by discounting your second order. That's a no brainer. So don't wait. Go get your 10 bar sampler case now. Go to kindsnacks.com slash adventure. All right. I'll let Kurt get back into the interview. Guys, don't wait. Go check out that deal.
2: You know the the searching that you talk about there made me think about uh in the book there's a recurring theme uh, of you choosing a road that your wife is trying to get you not to go down and even your your kids saying dad no not this and <laughs> and wandering <laughs> into the into the great unknown and getting into all sorts of trouble what is it with maps and men and getting lost what, what draws you off the map so to speak
0: Yeah I think that Gosh, I, you know, I kind of have this 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 theory that you know, our, as our as our world gets more and more mapped and gridded, and we have GPS phones in our pockets, that we as as men, I think, tend to get more lost with that because it's moving away from our nature. You know, my nature is to want to be kind of lost and have to discover something on my own that's not being fed to me from somewhere, um, and to discover. Kind of, if I can make it, you know, if I can make it back, you know, if I can, if I, if I get myself lost on this trail, is there, do I have what it takes to to, to make it back and bring my family back safely? Um, so far, fortunately, that's that I'm succeeding, but, you know, I suppose one day, you know, we may not, but I just think that there's something that draws us out there because, you know, the, we, when we get off the grid, we become more alive and more free and all of our senses are at work. Um, and it just, I think that's where we feel more like men
2: yeah i wonder why that is women often say that men don't like to stop and ask directions and there might be a male pride issue going on there and a lot of other (laughs) stuff but there's also that sense of discovery that drives it i think yeah you know it's like i don't want someone to tell me i want to figure it out i want to see what's around the next corner and yeah you know if it takes me a place i didn't mean to go then i might have a life experience that i needed to have
0: exactly i mean i've actually had some of my best discoveries kind of getting lost i've discovered whole towns i didn't know existed because i was someplace where i didn't know where i was and you make a turn and i ended up in in fact one's this place called phillipsburg montana we were just driving down some road i didn't know where we were and we'd make this turn and all of a sudden we're in this town that's become now one of our favorite towns to to visit wow and if i was if i was paying attention to my map i would have never found that because i would have just been so focused on the destination i would have lost the journey (laughs)
2: so you're talking about getting stuck down these roads i gotta read the names of some of your chapters here um Mm. zen and the art of vanigan maintenance part one with the the subheading here mariposa california (laughs) then two chapters later zen and the art of vanigan maintenance part two but this time spearfish canyon south dakota and then we go all the way to chapter 29, Zen and the Art of Vanagon Maintenance Part 3. Now we're in Park City, Utah. So it sounds like you've had some challenges getting back out again sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've been stuck on the road more times than I kind of want to admit. Um, we we travel a lot. We have a, a VW, um, a four-wheel drive VW van. It's called a Synchro Westphalia. Um, and so that's where we travel around a lot. And, well, and oftentimes, we, we don't make it to the destination. <laughs> um, and we're stuck outside the road or end up someplace else. And, yeah, and that's, that's part of life, too. And, and we've actually learned to appreciate that. In fact, my wife and I, we were stuck someplace. Um, we're going into, it's in one of those chapters, one of those Zen chapters. We're heading into Yosemite and basically lost our engine. And we're coasted down to this dark kind of canyon, um, and you know, my, my son tells me, daddy, this is the darkest time of my life. And my, my wife and I almost turned to each other like, you know, our kids are going to learn more about how we handle this than they will with anything else that we can do right now. Oh yeah. Um, and it was an important, it ended up being a really important part of our kind of parenting journey was how to deal with the fact that our engine just blew and we coasted into this canyon and we don't know where we are and we only have two days worth of food.
2: How, how did it turn out or do i have to read the book
0: oh well i'll tell you what yeah yeah you can read the book to get the details we were fortunately we're still all alive and um and my kids still talk to me but um you know some really cool things happened there and um i'll let you read the book to get the rest of it but um but things even boarding almost on the miraculous kind of took place um and our takeaway from that trip was completely what we went into it thinking was going to happen was completely different than what we got out of it, and what we got out of it was so much more important than what we could have imagined. Um, and that's, you know, that's yes, earlier what how I define adventure. I think that's part of it.
2: Yeah, you got to be willing to face some of those challenges and hardships if you're if you're willing to go that far off the beaten path. I think, but. Mm-hmm. What is it that makes it so stressful when things don't go the way that we think they should?
0: Oh, man, that's, I think, I think maybe control. Yeah, you know, we want to be in control and recognizing that maybe there's times where we're not in control is probably not so great for us. Yeah. Yeah, you have to give yourself up to something bigger to, to, to find the freedom from that.
2: Yeah, that's, that's true. I think another aspect is time. Because mm-hmm. we always have a time schedule in mind. When things don't go right, then time is the first thing to go, right? Yeah. So how do you let go of the time schedule on these trips?
0: Yeah, you know, I, before I even go, I kind of put myself into that zone. So we've, you know, th- this is one of the things that comes with, like I said earlier, the, the repetition, and the practice. Um, but, you know, I, I know that whenever I'm starting to head someplace, there's probably only about 50% chance I might actually get there. <laughs> and so, once you kind of, and then you start the journey anyways with that expectation, and all of a sudden, everything's on the upside. There's not a lot of downside. Um, and so, some of that is, you know, for me, understanding that the time isn't ultimately mine to decide. You know, it's kind of like that, I don't know if you like Lord of the Rings, but that Gandalf line, it's, you know, ultimately it's what we decide to do at the time that's been given us. Um, right. Yeah, and so... That's and, and so whether it's broke down on the side of the road, whether it's, you know, getting to your destination or not, you know, whatever time you've been given to do that, I think that's doing the most you can with that is, becomes the
2: key thing. Well, that's uh, that's wisdom right there. I think the hardest part that a lot of people have with adventure is the time constraints. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, we have all these weekend warriors and, and I celebrate weekend warriors. It's the way to go. I mean if that's if that's your opportunity to have adventures and get outside and experience life on a on a bigger level then go for it. Don't don't fall into the trap of being the weekend couch potato. But <laughs> weekends are short, you know? There's a you have to yeah. get there, you have to do something, you have to get back again and if anything goes wrong sometimes you've got a boss staring at you on Monday morning wondering where you are, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, those are, that's, I I definitely think those are tough for sure. Um, man, yeah. (laughs) And sometimes you just, you can't control what happens when you get out there. You'll know if you're going to make it back
2: or not. Yeah. Hey, here's another paragraph I just found. I'm going to read this one about fly fishing. The fish still hadn't tired. It continued to burst with energy each time folding Chuck's fly rod in half. I could see it was a wild brown trout by the bright orange spots along its lateral line. It looked to be about 18 inches in length, maybe more, and so thick in the middle, I wondered how it fit in the shallow riffle where it was hooked. I got positioned with the net and instructed Chuck to lead the fish toward me. The net didn't seem big enough. I reached for the trout, and suddenly the knot attaching the fly to the tippet broke. The rod recoiled, and the line whipped back with a sudden release of tension. We stood in the water, stunned, silent as church mice. Chuck broke the silence first. Does that count? It does for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so I, was, uh, I was doing an interview, uh, uh, interview with some group of people I was speaking with uh, recently, and uh, someone asked me what my favorite part about the book was. And I said that in my books, the fish are always bigger in the stories.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So the title of that chapter is called Whiskey and Firelight. What do you mean by that title?
0: Yeah. That, that chapter, it's, you know, obviously my buddy Chuck, we went on this fishing trip together and we were both kind of at a point, you know, in midlife where we were struggling with um, the tension that we feel with work. He's a fireman, you know, I'm an author amongst other things, but in both cases um, our work just seems like it gets more and more demanding. It was starting to get between us and our wives, us and our kids. And so, our solution is to go fishing. I'm not sure if that's the best solution or not, but so we decided to go fishing together. Um, And we had this great big experience. And um, at the end of that chapter, kind of at the end of that trip, there was this moment where Chuck and I would fish, we'd call all sorts of fish, we'd done some cool things. And then we decided that kind of my tradition is we'd break out the whiskey at the end of the day around the fire. And you kind of recount the day a little bit, but there's something that happens I'm sure you've experienced this, too, but when you're out there, we were under the stars, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, just Chuck and I. were the only guys there having this fire and a drink of whiskey. And there's something that's sealed in our friendship, this sense of, hey, this is an important moment. And, uh, and it's sealed with this whiskey and firelight um, that we're going we're gonna to try to not let work rob us of the things that matter most to us, whatever that is, whatever we have to do to fight against that, we're going to fight against that together. And ever since that moment, you know, we get Chuck and I get together for beer pretty regularly. Um, And that's one of the first things we talk about is, you know, how's that going? How's that, you know, that commitment that we made with the whiskey and the firelight, how's that going? So that's, that's kind of the the story behind the story of that chapter.
2: (laughs) In a way it, it sounds like communion. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know it it's about <laughs> commitments and and right and reaching for a, a more important purpose maybe. You know yeah. I wanted to point out just by looking at your uh, your chapters again, I want to rattle off the locations because your book takes us places. It's not just thought, right? It's it's not right. just exploring ideas. It's it's going all over the place. So we've got Joshua Tree, Ventura, California, Northern Baja, Mexico. We've got Utah, Rocky Mountain National Park, Grays River, Wyoming, uh, Highway 49, California, Lake Tahoe, Sonoma, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Montana, um, Channel Islands National Park, Paradise Valley, Yellowstone River, Montana, Yellowstone National Park, Wyoming. I mean, you're, you're going all over the West here. We've got South Dakota, We've got more Montana and California, Glacier National Park, San Juan Islands in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, and even Big Bend National Park in Texas. Um, so that's also fun. You visit a lot of national parks and famous natural places, and they're, that's the backdrop. That's the setting for the stories that you weave through this tapestry. So I wanted yeah. to make sure that everyone knew that.
0: Oh yeah, and no, thanks for pointing it out because there there is the, the at the heart of this there it's it's a travel adventure book. Um and one of the things I well, I wanted to really accomplish was uh, I was trying to find out like I've read, I read yeah, as you can imagine I read lots of kind of travel books and they're really great on the how to like how to go do this or how to you know what to what to do in Montana or what to do here or there but um but I never I read, don't I read at least seldomly if I come across something that really stokes my heart to want to go to travel. And so what I wanted to do with this was a little bit of both. I wanted someone to read these stories and get inspired to want to go travel. And then once they get there, there's a map that goes with every single story. It's a hand-drawn map that my mom and I did. And in that map, I give out kind of where my favorite breweries are, where my favorite kind of tacos are or barbecue. And so if you do end up in going to – Phillipsburg, Montana, um, because you like that chapter and it motivates you to go there. Then I wanted to to give some real practical insights to that area too. So the maps uh, do that. There's over 300 and something like recommendations, travel tips, recommendations in the book as well. So I wanted to blend both those things together, uh, which I hadn't seen done before and maybe I missed it. But that's one of the things I really love about this book was kind of blending the the the, the the whys with
2: the hows. <laughs> That's fun. I randomly opened up to one of your maps so that I could look at it while you were talking about this. Mm-hmm. And, and this one is Utah, Park City area. It says, my favorite fishing guide in Utah is Justin Harding with Utah Pro Fly Fishing. <laughs> Contact him for guide services, and you won't pay unless you catch a fish. <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's his deal. He says, if uh, anybody I send his way, that they won't pay unless they catch a fish.
2: <laughs> oh, I love it. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, these maps are awesome, dude. Yeah, they're super fun. And, um, and I do that, like, with
0: Justin. Um, you know, in, in places where there's fly fishing, I actually list the guides, and I know most of them personally. Um, and then, like, when you're down, I have a chapter on Ventura, and when you're here, um, if you ever want to come out and surf, I list the, the people to call to, to teach you how to surf, too um so i really want the you know the resource people to have these adventures
2: right uh speaking of you said that you had adventure guides on your website
0: oh yeah yeah i've actually got two of them um one is uh and my website's rogerwthompson.com um one is a camping guide and it's a bit of a response to you know the book where i had i started to get people asking me well hey i've never camped before and i want to do it but you know they're intimidated Um, And so I put together a camping guide, which is kind of a real basic view of camping. You know, um, like how to kind of what you need gear-wise, kind of how to find a campsite, what how to set one up, and those kinds of things. And so, um, so that's a lot of fun. And then for Father's Day, we put out also kind of a father-child adventure guide, Um, and this has to do more specifically with how I plan adventures with my kids. Um, and how to kind of execute those adventures. So both of those resources are available on the website. And I think that anyone who's kind of just getting into this will, will, will find those to be really helpful for them.
2: And that's rogerwthompson.com. Yeah, that's right. rogerwthompson.com. And uh, the name of this book is We Stood Upon Stars, subtitled Finding God in Lost Places. Uh, you had another book though that you wrote previously. What what's that book about?
0: Yeah, I yeah, I wrote my first book. Um, you know, and just to real quickly a little backstory is like I, I haven't I didn't ever thought of myself as a writer. Writing has kind of come in kind of a midlife time of my li you know, life. Um and so my first book I actually wrote a story of my best friend and I growing up together kind of in the eighties on our in our beach town in Southern California. Uh, and it's just a tremendous book on friendship. And it's kind of a deep dive into what uh, a true bonding friendship between males looks like, but it really could be for anyone. Um, it's called My Best Friend's Funeral because it takes place kind of at his funeral. And, you know, mm. obviously that's that's heavy and, and so forth. And that's the time when we tend to evaluate these things. Um, but the the... Kind of the story how that book came to be is we we played we played in punk bands together, growing up, and we were super into punk rock music, and we traveled a little bit, and and our goal was always to play our local theater, which is called the Ventura Theater, um, and we never got a chance to play, but we always that was always our dream was to sell out the theater. Well, when Tim passed away, I had to do his eulogy. We did it at that Ventura Theater, and there was a moment where I stepped onto the stage, and the whole theater was sold out, and it just dawned on me. I was like, man, we've actually, Tim through his life, sold out the Ventura Theater. Wow. Um, and I wanted to kind of honor him and also talk about for all of us who are trying to find out how to live a meaningful life. How do you live a life that's so meaningful that it'll fill out the theater? So anyway, yeah, that's that other book, my first book called My Best Friend's Funeral.
2: Mm, and people can find that on Amazon?
0: Yeah, that's available on Amazon. Um yeah. And then my newest one, you know, that We Stood Upon Stars is on Amazon as well. But this one's also going to be in whatever your local bookstore is as well.
2: Very cool. We Stood Upon Stars. And when does this release? I have a pre release version here. So do you know when this is coming out?
0: Yeah, actually, it just came out a couple of weeks ago.
2: Beautiful. So I up, love the timing.
0: Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's out now. So go to your local bookstore and pick it up.
2: Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. So, local bookstore, Amazon, the name of the book again, We Stood Upon Stars. Roger, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed our time visiting about this. Uh, I just feel like you're a man after my own heart. It's a lot of fun to visit with you and to get to know you a little bit. Do you have one more passage that you could uh, close out the show with?
0: Uh, um, yes, let me let me dig one up here. So, I'm going to read um, one of the Zen and the a segment from the Zen and Art of Vanagon Maintenance. This is one from part two in Spearfish Canyon, South Dakota. The red light was flashing and the oil alarm was buzzing and the kids were listening and I was trying to keep it together. I'm not sure where we were, somewhere in South Dakota maybe, or it could have been Nebraska. There weren't many signs or cars. Daddy, where are we? I'm not sure. Are you going to fix the van? I went to the motions of fiction the van, mostly for theater, so my kids wouldn't lose complete confidence in me. For miles, the mutiny had been brewing in the back seat. If I lost it now, the inmates would take over. (laughs) The engine was in the rear of the van, under the storage area, and everybody knew the routine. It's a bucket brigade process of removing camping gear and sleeping bags to make it possible to get to the engine compartment. I looked at a jumble of metal and wires. Not with hopes of identifying the problem, but hoping I could be left alone while I fought inner demons exalting my soul. I just wanted a moment of quiet. What's that, Daddy? I was like a possum, hoping if I stood still, he might go away. Daddy, what is it? That's the engine. My younger son pointed to something more specific. What's that, Daddy? That son is the alternator. I had no idea what it was, or even what he was pointing at. I wasn't paying much attention. What's that, the starter? What's that, a pipe? What's that, the alternator? You already said that. <laughs> I hate this game. <laughs> my older son didn't bother with questions. He walked off to practice his pitching by throwing stones at this rotting fence. We had pulled off the road near a stagnant pond and the mosquitoes found blood. My wife stayed busy spraying, spraying bug spray and looking for snacks because she knew we'd be here a while. I hoped my younger son would lose interest, but Holly seemed to care about was what some chunk of metal in the engine compartment was for. It's a backup alternator. Why does the van need a backup? (laughs) Listen, I'm trying to fix the engine. This is very dangerous. You need to stop asking questions and let me work. (laughs) This bought me quiet. I used this to figure out how to get my family out of yet another van breakdown. The sun was setting, and according to the map, we were about 180 miles from our destination in Spearfish, South Dakota. Since I couldn't fix the engine, the choice was either to tow the van someplace close or to tow it someplace far. I decided to have it towed to Spearfish. Why is it dangerous my son asked I didn't answer instead I called a tow truck. Why can't you fix it? Go throw rocks with your brother
1: <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: yeah and it goes on a little bit to talk about kind of what happened in that moment and, uh, and you know and so forth but yeah so it's, it's a fun uh, it's a fun reminder that you know sometimes the things that happen outside of our control can be the most important things that happen in our lives
2: oh yeah no doubt no doubt well man the clock goddess i've really enjoyed this it's been a lot of fun thank you so much for coming on the adventure sports podcast and sharing a little bit of your book and your heart and your wisdom with us about adventure and an adventure-filled lifestyle i love it man
0: man it was so much fun yeah it's amazing how quickly that time went so i appreciate it's an opportunity to be with you
2: Yeah, it's been great. So for all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening in as Roger and I have our little chat. We really uh, enjoyed our time. Hope you enjoyed it as much or more than we did. And until the next show, make sure that you do get out there and have some fun.
1: Don't miss Monday's episode when Kurt talks with Robert Jones about his 96-mile trek along the West Highland Way in Scotland with his three kids. Until then, get out and have some fun.